Well, hello, everybody. Welcome. Happy Wednesday night. And I am so excited to finish out Romans chapter 11 tonight. Israel's future restoration and their purpose and the plan of God. What does this have to do with modern Christianity in 2022? We discussed that very thing. This is the deep dive. Yes, like I just said, episode 22 of season five, 22 episodes. Wow. It feels like yesterday we were just beginning um, season five, but here we are. And again, as usual, all I do ask is a like, share, or subscribe on the channel. So glad that you're all with us. We are going to finish out this long protracted um, uh, argument that Paul has been making about Israel and their place in the uh, covenant of God in Christ Jesus. We've been looking at this outline for the last, I don't know, four weeks, five weeks. I'm not sure. Israel's past election, Romans 9, Israel's present rejection, Romans 10, Israel's future restoration, Romans 11, and, and we're going to finish today. And it's a good thing that we're going to finish today because guess what? I can't do this next week. So I got a lot of things on my plate next week. Um, might actually have to take the next week off after next week. So we'll see. Prayer is appreciated. Nothing bad, just good things that I've got to take care of personally in my life. With that in mind, let's pray, and then let's get into Romans chapter 11. Father, thank you for the chance to study your word. May we hear what you want us to hear, see what you want us to see, and learn to love and know Jesus more than ever before. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's hit it. Paul has been discussing Israel and her purposes in the covenant of Christ, the covenant of Christ's blood for the last three chapters. What are we as Christians supposed to do or regard with for the sake of or in, in, in regards to Israel? What are we supposed to think about them? This is a very important point. This is a very important passage. A lot of Christians skip from Romans 8 right through to Romans 12 because Romans 12 is the application of all that Romans 1 to 11 was talking about. But if you skip 9, 10, 11, you forget a couple of things. You forget a, a bunch of important realities about Israel's uh, relationship to God and then their relationship to the church. And it's going to be important for this discussion in just a moment. We're going to get to why it was really important in Paul's day, especially important in our day and in every age, but especially in Paul's day and our age. Okay, so let's remind ourselves God's covenant with Israel, the Abrahamic covenant, that's the great nation blessing the nations, uh, the Mosaic covenant, the law blessing and cursing covenant, that's... Um, Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy, and then we have the land covenant, that's Genesis 13, Deuteronomy 30, the Davidic covenant, king forever overall. We discussed that last season on the deep end in the life of David study. Then the Jeremaic covenant, that is a new heart of flesh that applies first to Israel. Remember Israel, the Jews are the church basically for the first 10 years. This is all Jewish people for the first 10, 5 to 10 years of the church. So they have the new hearts through the work of the Holy Spirit from the day of Pentecost onward. And then again, I ask this question, it's important. What other ancient people worship the same God, live in the same land, and speak the same language for the last 3,500 years? Israel is a living miracle. Now, someone made this comment, yeah, last week, and I want to address it. You can't equate ethnic Israel uh, or I'm sorry, the national nation state of Israel to the Israel that we are grafted into. And I'm not making that equation. There is no such equation. There is believing Israel, there's disbelieving Israel, and then there's the church. There are three people in the covenant of promises of God. Disbelieving Israel, they are still his biological people through Abraham, okay? There is spiritual Israel. These are the people who come to faith in Christ Jesus, Paul being one of them. And then there is the church, the Gentile nations who come to God through the true son of Israel, the true son of David, true son of Abraham, Jesus Christ. That's it. And we are not grafted into 
a biological or genealogical or nation state Israel. No, we are grafted into the faith of Abraham's family, the faith of the Abrahamic covenant, the great nation blessing covenant that comes through Abraham, that who was also justified by grace through faith. That's Genesis 17. When, when I talk about the nation state of Israel, understand what I'm saying there is that the fact that they are back in the land, back reading the same law in that land, and looking forward to the Messiah, the Davidic son, who will ransom them from their, uh, their pain and agony for the last 2,000 years, and that they are also increasingly coming to faith, Jews that is, uh, is an important sign of the times. Don't miss that. It is a sign that Jesus is coming back soon. Can't, can't overstate that. Because if we forget Israel, if we forget Jerusalem, what does the Bible even say? If you forget Jerusalem, may my hand forget its skill. We've got to focus our eyes on what God has been doing through this nation. Historically, in the last 150 years, it is, it is powerful. It is potent. And it reminds us that God's covenants are sure. If his covenants in Abraham are sure with the land are sure, man, the covenant in Christ's blood, even more sure. So what we must know about Israel, what we must know, okay, listen, just a real quick recap before we get into uh, what it meant. Number one, God's covenants remain intact. The, that is Romans 9, 4 to 5. Let's go to the Bible camp. Remember, uh, the covenants are? They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, according, uh, and from the race, according to the flesh, Christ, who is God over all. So that is still intact. Paul is telling us this. They are Israel, and to them belong. This is not to them used to belong. No, no, no. They are still his biological people. Okay? And then, number two, not all Israel is Israel, which we, of course, should state clearly. Abraham has two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. Isaac's his spiritual son. Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob is his spiritual son. On and on and it goes. Not all biological descendants are true Israel. Not all believe, okay, in Torah. A lot of Israelites are atheists today in the land of Israel, okay? It's not to say just because they're Israelites, and I don't ever fall into this trap, that there's some kind of special covenantal promise for heaven for disbelieving Jews because they're Jews biologically related to Abraham. That is a falsehood. That is absolutely not true. We'll talk about that later. Number three, Israel's hardening is being used to save the Gentiles. Now that was Romans 9, 22 to 24, right? Let's go to Bible came again. Uh, 22 to 24, he says this, what if God, desiring to show his wrath, to make known his power, endured with much patience the object of the wrath of objects of his wrath, prepared for destruction, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy which he prepared beforehand for glory? All right, even even to us whom he has called. So that hardening of Israel is being used to bring you Gentiles to Christ. Number four, the law became an idol in Israel, and that the law became let me say this slower, slower, little. <laughs> the law became an idol in Israel. It became an idol. That was Romans chapter 10. Uh, three to four. Let's go flip the page on the Bible cam here. Take a look-see. Romans 10, three to four. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own through the law, they did not submit to God's righteousness for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Why? For who? For everyone who believes. So the law, <clears throat> this is what we're just re rehashing, okay? Because we're going to draw this out in just a moment. The law became an idol. Number five, God has a remnant of Israel now saved by grace. Paul being, you know, the, the primary example. And that's over here in Romans chapter 11 when he says, Bible came, 
I asked then, has God rejected his people? No, I am an Israelite. I am chosen. I am a believer in Christ. And then in verse 5, there remains, where is it here? Verse 5, there too at the present time remains a remnant chosen by grace. Okay, so there's a believing Israel. There's also disbelieving Israel. Please understand that we're going to get into disbelieving Israel right here in the rest of chapter 11. You're not going to want to miss this. Okay, and then number six, God has a plan in store for Israel in the future. And that's where we're going today. That's all the rest of Romans chapter 11 that God is not done. God is not done. He is using, wait first, he used them to bring about the Christ, right? He is the true son of Israel, son of David, son of Abraham. And then he used them to hand Christ over to the Roman authorities and put Christ to death. Their rejection of him becomes the means by which we are saved through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. If he doesn't die, there's no sacrifice for sins. And now the present rejection is the means by which God is bringing the gospel to the nations. I said this last week, and it bears repeating. If Israel had accepted Christ for who he was, they never would have put him on the cross. They never would have handed him over to the Romans. They never would have, and the Christian faith, the the faith in Yahweh, Jesus, would be regarded as an ethnically Jewish faith, which would have alienated Gentiles across the world. However, the exact opposite has happened. It's become a Gentile faith and not a Jewish faith. But that doesn't mean that Jews are now scorned forever. And that's what Paul is going to say here in Romans chapter 11. So with all that said, quick recap. Let's get into what it meant. All right, verse 13 of Romans chapter 11. Now I'm speaking to you Gentiles. Again, we, we talked about this last week. I'm talking to the Gentiles and their rejection. And just summarizing here, verse 15, their rejection means reconciliation for the world. What will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? In other words, Paul's anticipating something here. And it's very important that you see it. He's anticipating that the Jews will come back to Christ. And then he makes this little mention. Uh, verse 16, if the dough, if the dough offered his first fruits as holy, so is the whole lump. That is numbers... Um, 17, Numbers 15. There is a little law, a little stipulation in the law where Moses is commanded by God, take the people of Israel and tell them that whenever they bake bread, take a little portion of the bread and give it to the priest and the priest shall be fed by that offering. But moreover, it is also a reminder that the bread, the whole lump is holy and from God, it belongs to God and it's for God. So are you, you are from God, for God, and you belong to God. And so Paul uses that, that text in Numbers 15 to say, look, the first fruits of the dough, that is me. Paul the Apostle, that is the believing Jews, right? That is the Peter, uh, James, John, all Jews. Just remember that. These guys were not Catholic. They were Jews. Um, if they're holy, so shall the whole lump be holy. Okay, now the whole lump does not believe in Christ. The whole lump does not believe in Christ. But they will eventually. Okay, now we'll discuss what that means. So please, please, please just give me time to explain this before you put the chat in the bottom and bring up your debate because theologians and scholars debate this left, right, and center, and both can be right and both can be wrong. We don't know. God knows. But anyway, he he talks about this, that there's a first fruits and then there's a whole lump and the whole lump is still God's. That is the whole lump of Israel still belongs to the Lord. Now let's pick up the story uh, in verse, let's pick up the story. Let's pick up the Bible text in verse 17. He says this, but if some branches were broken off, oh, wait, 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 let me give you context there because remember he says this, if the root is holy, so are the branches. So he's going to use this little illustration, first the bread, now the tree, as an illustration of the fact that um, we all belong to God and we are here for God, okay? Uh, and God is going to use both Jew and Gentile and non-believing Jew, believing Gentile, believing Jew, and non-believing Jew for his purposes. That was That's what this means, to be holy. Okay, now, 
What does he say in verse 17? Let's go back. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, these are Gentiles. Remember, he's talking to the Gentiles. You were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Paul is reaffirming a couple things. Number one, there is unbelief in Israel because they were broken off. They were broken off. They were rejected because of their unbelief. The Jews rejected Jesus. Remember that. Most of them. A very small contingent did believe in him. That's why they were called the Galileans, because they were from Galilee, and they were a small contingent who followed Jesus. Okay, when he gets to Jerusalem, Jerusalem, almost whole scale, rejects Jesus. Okay, and, G- and Paul is drawing this out. He's saying, look, the natural branches were broken off so that you, the wild olive tree, could be grafted in. Now, what is that talking about? What is that? What is this idea? A wild olive shoot be grafted into the natural root. Okay. Uh, Let me read from John Stott's uh, The Message of Romans commentary. He says, In exceptional circumstances, it is customary to reinvigorate an olive tree, which is ceasing to bear fruit, by grafting it with a shoot of the wild olive, so that the sap of the tree ennobles this wild shoot, and the tree now again begins to bear fruit. This is a fabulous illustration um, of ancient uh, horticulture. Horticulture, yeah. So what uh, one of the um, techniques of getting a a tree, an olive tree to bear fruit again was when it was dyed up, you would take a wild olive shoot. Wild olive shoots from uncultivated areas would produce a lot of growth, but no fruit. You take that growth, that, that, that rapid growth of a wild olive shoot, you graft it into a olive tree that had been uh, domesticated or, you know, uh, cultivated in a garden or in a whatever. And you put that in there, you put the wild olive shoot into the natural root, and somehow that combination, the vitality of the wild olive shoot and the nobility of the root that had been cultivated produces fruit again. It's, it's a beautiful illustration in horticulture from the Middle East that still is in practice today. That Paul is picking up here to say, look, this is what God did as Israel stopped bearing fruit. Remember Jesus approaches Jerusalem. He curses the fig tree. Remember that? He is cursing the fig tree because he reached in to find fruit and there was none. And then it also says it wasn't the season for bearing fruit, but it was the season because it was in leaf for unripened fruit. And when he finds no unripened fruit, he curses it and the cursed tree withers. And the the disciples are are taken aback. They're like, master, the the tree you, you cursed has withered. And then he says, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you shall say that this mountain be uprooted and cast into the sea. It's an illustration of what God has done because of their rejection of his son, Jesus, to Israel. He has caused them to stop bearing the fruit of God, the fruit of God, which is righteousness, peace, holiness, all those kind of fruits. Now, many, many Jews do live extraordinarily exemplary lives. I'm not saying that they're not righteous. I'm not saying that they're not good moral people. I am saying though, that there's a righteousness from God that they do not produce. There is a righteousness of faith that they do not produce, a righteousness from the heart that non-believing Jews, just like non-believing atheists, okay, Gentile atheists, Uh, cannot produce. So what does God do? He grafts wild olive shoots, Gentiles, into the natural root, the um, nation, uh, the believing Israel uh, tree, olive tree, and that combination produces fruit. Look at what the church, the Gentile church, has done around the world for the sake of Christ. And before you start talking about all the evils of the church, 
You have to do a fair assessment and look at historically all the good that the church has produced. Literally every hospital in the world produced by the church of Jesus Christ. Every orphanage almost produced by the church of Jesus Christ. Education produced by the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, Good works. Service. This idea that humility is better than pride. The Romans believed pride was a virtue. Humility was a vice. That That idea has flipped. Why? Because of the teachings of Jesus Christ. And Jesus also illustrates in the parable of the tenants the fact that God would take the kingdom of God away, look at this, Matthew 21, take the kingdom of God away from the natural root olive tree and be given, it would be given to a people producing its fruits, the wild olive tree. And the one who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces. That's himself. And then it says this in verse 45 of Matthew 21, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard this parable, They knew he was talking about them, and they were immediately aroused to anger, and they wanted to arrest him, but the crowd felt that he was a prophet. Then in the very next passage of Scripture, that's Matthew 22, there's the parable of the wedding feast, where those originally invited suddenly come up with lame excuses not to come, and then Jesus tells the story that they were sent back out to the highways and the byways to find any good and bad people that they could bring into the wedding feast. And he says, the end of that story, all those who were invited will not taste my banquet. So what is the saying? Israel failed to produce the righteousness that comes by faith. And now God has given that righteousness, that fruit of righteousness that comes from faith to Gentiles. But they, and Paul's making this point, they are nourished by the root. They are nourished by the people of Abraham. And there is this beautiful picture because olive trees are huge and across um, the land of Israel still to this day. There's a beautiful picture in Israel. If you go there, I just want to sidetrack for a moment, even though I had it prepared in my nose, that when you go to the Garden of Gethsemane, which I have there on the left, is a picture of the olive trees at the Garden of Gethsemane. I've been there. Okay, this is 2018. And then right next to the Garden of Gethsemane, very ironically, but not ironically, kind of like strategically and according to God's plan and purpose, is what a Catholic church is called the Church for All Nations. Now, this is amazing because if you look at the church straight on, as you see it from the street there, to the left is the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, Right there, you have this picture of that you don't get the church on the right without the um, native olive tree on the left, the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus prayed and wept and and, uh, sweated drops of blood and then died for our sins and produced the church of Jesus Christ. I mean, it's really, really cool. By the way, those trees on the left there that you see, uh, some um, uh, uh, horticulturists believe that they are as old as the time when Jesus actually walked into that garden and prayed and sweat drops of blood. Very, very powerful moment in anyone's life. I, I admonish you severely, get to Israel and visit. It's beautiful. But the point that Paul's making is this, and listen, the church is the beneficiary of all that God has done and promised to and for Israel. Please, please, please do not miss this. Um, Israel is the source of the patriarchs. We get Abraham, we get Isaac, we get Jacob, we get David, we get Moses, we get all these mighty men of God from Israel and their stories and their scriptures and their writings bless us still to this day. Anyone who's ever been blessed by Jeremiah 29, 11, raise your hand, right? I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, even though that wasn't written to you, <laughs> but you can interpret it for yourself. And I have a video actually here in the, in the channel about that, uh, taking that passage out of uh, context and how you should actually understand that passage. Check it out. Maybe we'll put it in the notes below. But anyway, we also get the law through Israel, right? We get the commandments. We get the, what, what does it mean? What does it look like? And it, also we get love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's from the law of Israel. That's from Leviticus 18. 
we get the prophets through Israel. We get Isaiah, we get Jeremiah, we get Ezekiel, we get Hosea and Amos and all these powerful prophets, Ezekiel, uh, Elijah and Elisha. We get Jesus, most importantly, through Israel, right? Without Israel, we don't get Jesus. And then obviously we get the gospel from Jesus, right? You don't have any of the things that you appreciate as a Christian today if there is no Israel. So what Paul is saying is this, do not be haughty, do not be arrogant. Very next verse, verse 18. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Okay, so, so everything that we are as Christ, Christians, Christ followers, comes through the nation of Israel, the descendants of Abraham. Then he says in verse 19, then you will say branches were broken up. This is, if you're arrogant, you'll say branches are broken off so that I could be grafted in. That is true. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith, so do not become proud. So two admonishments here. Do not be arrogant, do not become proud. And you get the idea, and I hope you're picking it up here, that Paul is addressing a concern in the Roman church in the first century that still rears its ugly head in the church in the 21st century. And that is that there is a assumption that the church um, that came before you, uh, or the people that came before you, are second rate. Second rate, they didn't believe the way you should have, they should have believed, and so you're better than them. And they acted a certain way that they shouldn't have acted, and you know better now, and so you're better than them. And we get this, it's called chronological snobbery. C.S. Lewis talked about this, where you think automatically the former generations, because they practice certain things, and because they didn't grow in wisdom the way that we have, because we have grown from them, okay, we then disregard them. It's chronological snobbery. It's wrong. It's absolutely wrong. And we do this, and, and I'm sorry, and in, and in the first century church in Rome, the Gentile believers were doing this toward Israel. Oh, look at they don't believe in Christ. So that automatically makes me better. I believe they don't believe. But he says this, they were broken off. Why? Because of their lack of belief, their unbelief. And you don't have anything to brag about. <laughs> you stand fast through faith. It is salvation by grace through faith, not of works so that no man can boast. So don't become proud by fear. Next verse. Verse 21, for if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Like this is powerful warning, right? Don't think that, that oh, Israel is broken off so you could come in. Think that even if God didn't spare his own people who didn't believe, that means he won't spare me if I don't believe. Right? You're no better. Everybody's saved by grace to faith. Verse 22, so then the kindness, note, note then, the kindness and severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. Continuous kindness. That means that, look, you love Christ. You want to grow in Christ. You are excited about your life in Christ. You want to hate your sin and continue to reject your sin and, and uh, uh, destroy your sin and take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You don't want to grow more sinful. You want to grow more holy. You want to give your life to Christ more fully, right? That's what it means to continue in his kindness because as Romans chapter 2 talks about his kindness leads us toward repentance. The more we know the kindness of God, the more we want to live like God and live for God. Don't be proud. Don't be arrogant. Don't think you're all that. As 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. We talked about that yesterday on the deep end, did we not? Don't let, don't let the falling off of certain people in the church, whether Jew or Gentile, cause you to think that you won't fall. You've got to take a humble approach to faith, my friend. You've got to take a humble approach to following the Lord. It is by grace that you stand. It is through his grace and his enablement that you stand. And it is not of your own enablement. It is you trust in Christ to make you who you are, period, full stop. And by the way, Paul is picking up on all the themes that he's talked about in Ephesians chapter 2 with disregard. 
because he tells the uh, Gentiles in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, he says, remember that one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promises, uh, covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now in Christ, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Remember where you were. You were disconnected from all this stuff. That's, that's, and, and you had no right. You had no access to it. You think about your old life before Christ, before you knew the scriptures, before. I Even think about this, Christians. Think about before you love the Bible. Because when you're not a Christian, you don't love the Bible. You might appreciate the Bible, but you don't love the Bible as God's word. But there's something that transpires in your heart. The Holy Spirit comes in. He regenerates your heart. Suddenly you have a hunger and a thirst and desire to read the scriptures. It comes alive to you. You love it. It starts to transform you. It starts to make an impact on you. You leave church. You feel strengthened. You um, leave a Bible study. You feel encouraged. What is all that? That is the fact that you have been now grafted into the olive tree, the natural root. And that root that 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 you belong to was it has nothing to do with you you didn't do it it was god bringing you in and grafting you in and making you one people jew and gentile through christ jesus and all of that all of that is rooted on the patriarchs the law the prophets the old testament the old covenant all those things come were the foundation by which your salvation came to pass this all is going to make sense as to why it matters for us in just a moment. I know I'm talking about Israel. I'm talking about, you know, the nation state of Israel. I'm talking about the non-believing Jews. You're like, what does this have to do with me? I just need help with my life. I just need to know what to do with my, you know, money or my, you know, my, 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 my son or my, you know, there's a reason. There's a reason. And we'll get to it in just a moment. Let's go on. Verse 23. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. What? What? Like, Paul just does a total 180 here, doesn't he? If they do not continue in the unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. That means that Paul says, look, there's still hope for Israel, native-born Israel, to come back to Christ. So please, 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 do not do not do this. Do not think that when he's talking about Israel in these chapters, he's talking about the believing Israel. He's not. He's talking right here about the natural branches that will be grafted in again if they believe. Okay? There's still natural branches. They're still regarded as Israel. Verse 24, for if you were cut from what is not by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Hello? The future of Israel is not dark. And this hardening is not forever. And this is so important. Back to the olive tree. If the shoots, wild shoots, can be grafted in, how much more the natural? Notice. That Paul is, again, drawing a distinction between the natural branches and the unnatural wild branches. There is still, and I can't emphasize this enough, there is still a special plan for Israel in God's calendar through Jesus Christ. I bring you to verse 25. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers, a partial hardening. So it's not total. There are Jewish believers all over the world. We talked about that last week. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until, oh my goodness, never before has there ever been a more important word in the Bible. Well, maybe not, but that word is so important. That word until means time is temporary. The hardening of Israel is temporary until, until, hardened until, don't miss it. The fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel be saved. Okay, this is a landmine right here. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. This is Isaiah 53. We'll banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. 
Okay, so Paul makes a couple of really powerful points here. Uh, I've already mentioned it until there is there is a future redemptive plan for Israel in the last day that God will enact upon Israel, and I believe just before the coming of Jesus Christ, and increasingly so as his return approaches. And then he makes this point, all Israel will be saved. Now, how are we to interpret those words, all Israel will be saved? There are wrong ways to interpret this. The wrong way to say is that Israel, because they are genealogical descendants of Abraham, they get in because of the Old Testament Testament law and promises. No, no, that nullifies the gospel of Christ, the gospel of grace. It also exempts Peter from even having to believe in Jesus and Judas is going to heaven, right? Uh, Because he was naturally born Israeli. Wrong, 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 wrong. All Israel saved is a phrase that again, harkens back to not all Israel is Israel. All Israel refers to believing Israel, that the saved Israel are those who believe the promised sons of Abraham. And you've got to understand that there are not, and I, and I only theologians will care about the statement, but I'll make it anyway. There are not two covenants. God is not operating on two covenants. There's a covenant of, you know, the law and Abraham, and now there's the covenant of of Jesus Christ, and and there are two different ways to get to heaven. No, they're not. There's one way, and it is through Jesus Christ. No man comes to the Father except through me. This is what got Jesus crucified, because he said very plainly, I'm the gate, I'm the door, I'm the light, I'm, (laughs) I'm the way, right? So what does it mean? It means one of two things. All Israel will be saved. If you are a covenant theologian, it means that there will be a great ingathering from among the Jews before Jesus comes. If you are a dispensational theologian, and again, these terms, again, only reply, only really resonate to the theologians amongst my audience. It means this, the church gets raptured and suddenly Israel is awakened to Jesus being the way, the truth, and life. They come in large scale to Jesus Christ and they become the 144,000 witnesses in Revelation, I think, uh, what, 13? I'm sorry, I, I didn't look that up who evangelize the world or they become the two witnesses that's, that, you know, that, that, that uh, are persecuted and put to death, but they give testimony to the fact that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. And they do this during the second portion of the seven-year tribulation, which people call the Great Tribulation. And then God, Jesus Christ, comes back with the church, the Gentile, and believing Israel, the church, to enact the last day and inaugurate the millennial kingdom and a thousand year reign and on and on and on. Satan is loosed, blah, blah, blah. You know, all that stuff, the dispensational theologian. We talked about that in our uh, season two talk on Revelation. You say to me now, okay, well, what is it? Is it uh, covenantal theology, theology or is it dispensational theology? I put this in my quote unquote, God knows what box. My God, <laughs> do you have a God knows what box? Let me know in the comments below. I have a God knows what box. A a God knows what box means I have no idea, but God knows what. Uh, There are so many things about this that you can put into the God knows what box. Like you can put um, tongues. Should everybody speak in tongues or is it only for a few people, right? God knows what. Uh, You could put um, the tribulation. You could put the whole end times map into the God knows what box. You could put the, are we living in the millennium? Is the millennium coming after the tribulation? Is, uh, you know, uh, is there a millennium at all? You could go into the pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, rapture. Is there a rapture? All those things go into my God knows what box, right? These things are things that we can debate. And by the way, <laughs> theological blood has been spilt over this phrase um, more than I can tell you. Not real blood, fake blood, because they're all a bunch of theological nerds. But it's, <laughs> what I'm trying to say is that it's just so 
debated, you don't have an answer. And neither does Paul. Really, neither does Paul. He is making a statement here that all Israel, the believing Israel, will be saved. The believing Jews will be saved. I don't know if it's in the tribulation, it's 144,000 witnesses. And I don't know if it's just a mass uh, you know, coming to Christ revival movement amongst native-born Israelites in the land or around the world. We don't know. And sometimes we're not supposed to know, <laughs> which is okay. What we, what we struggle with as a church is not what we don't know. It's doing what we do know. Hello, that'll preach. What we struggle with as a church is not <laughs> what we don't know. It's doing what we do know. And I think that was Mark Twain that famously said, it's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts of the Bible that I do understand that bother me, <laughs> okay? So anyway, moving on, verse 28, he says this. As regards the gospel, they are enemies. This is Israel now, unbelieving Israel. They are enemies for your sake. Enemies, isn't that kind of strong language? No, it's not. Because if you actually did take part in season two on Revelation, you, I talked about how the Jews mistreated uh, believing Jews. They would uh, wipe their names off the record of synagogue, and it kind of like eliminated all your protections and legal rights as a Roman uh, as a uh, as a subject of the Roman government, they would persecute them. Even in the gospel, I mean, even in the book of Acts, we see the Jews in Thessalonica stirring up the crowds. In Ephesians, stirring up the crowds. In Berea, stirring up the crowds, attacking Paul, viciously hating Paul. It's the Jews that put Stephen to death. It's, it's the Jews that lock up Peter. It's Herod who called himself a Jew, who wanted to kill Peter and kill James. I mean, they were, in the very beginning, enemies and it says, for your sake, <laughs> which means that God is using that to spread the gospel to you, which is, again, we've talked about that ad nauseum in the last three episodes, but nonetheless, they are beloved for, your, for the sake of their forefathers. Okay, again, guys, listen, don't miss this because Paul is making very clear. They are beloved for the, because they are children of Abraham, even though they don't believe. The gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. That means that God will not undo his blessing, his natural earthly blessing to Israel. I'm sorry if you disagree, but you're not reading the text right. There is still a plan of purpose for Israel, and they are still his native-born people, and his calling is irrevocable. Verse 30, for just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have been, or now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they may also now receive mercy. So Paul is kind of like doing a real quick flip of the switch here to kind of <laughs> bait the Gentiles in and then kind of like smack them upside the head just like a Will Smith moment, right? Um, <laughs> they at one time were disobedient to God. And I'm sorry, you were once disobedient to God. You've received mercy. <clears throat> they too are now disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they may also now receive mercy for God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy in all. In other words, Israel, there's this <clears throat> cosmic there's this cosmic calendar. They were disobedient. They came to Christ in small number under Jesus and his leadership and in Paul's leadership. Now they whole scale reject Christ and it's been for 2000 years. Now the Gentiles have come because of that disobedience. And guess what? God is going to use them coming to Christ, the Gentiles, to bring back Israel to faith. He's, he's using all these things to have mercy on some. By the way, when he says, have mercy on all, he's not talking about, this is not universalism, even though this is a proof text for the universalist amongst us, is not that. He, uh, the words in Greek is the all, which means um, to refer to those who have faith in Christ Jesus. Now, let's move on to the last verse, three verses, four verses that we're going to talk about. 
Oh, the depths and riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given him a gift that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Wow. This is the last verse. This is the last passage of the Romans 9, 10, 11 section. And what does Paul do? He explodes in worship. Remember how it starts? Let's put this back up on the screen. Bible cam here. Um, he starts off in Romans 9 saying, I have great sorrow, unceasing anguish in my heart for the fact that they are lost. Then he says, I wish that I could be cut off, that they might be saved in Romans 10. And now he unpacks all this, the future plan for Israel in God's redemptive purposes for on the cosmic calendar. And then he bursts into praise and says, this is hard to understand, but we know a few things. God is rich in wisdom and rich in knowledge. You can't understand his judgments and his ways are beyond your scrutiny. You cannot fathom everything God does. And your job is not to dissect everything that God does. Your job is to trust what God says and listen to it and believe it and follow it. Paul is overwhelmed with joy. He has moved from sadness over their lost status to joy that God is going to have his people back reunited to himself. This is profoundly important for how we deal with Israel today. And we look at the nation state of Israel and we look at Jews today and we say to these people, thank you for Jesus. Thank you. And I honor you. And I am not against you. And I am not better than you. And even if you disbelieve, I am not better than you because I only am in this faith because of belief in what your, your Jesus did for me. It's really important because the church has a long, dark history of anti-Semitism. We need to call it out. We need to call it what it is, which is um, demonic and evil and sinful. And we need to uh, seek the welfare and the prosperity of Israel, just as we do with all of our neighbors. Okay. Last thing I want to just say here too, is that um, he says this last line, which is so important for from him and through him and to him are all things. That's the point of your life. You are from him. You are to him and you are, you, I'm sorry, you live through him and it's all uh, about him. It's all about him. Your life is about Christ. Your life is about God. Uh, interestingly enough, and it's kind of like timely. I, I'm binge watching through Everybody Loves Raymond. Love that show. The show, the episode that I saw last night was about um, Allie, the daughter, asks Ray about the meaning of life and Ray has no answer. She actually literally says, if we're all going to heaven when we die, universalism, of course, Hollywood. <laughs> Why does God put us here on earth? And Greg comes up with a stupid lame excuse. It's hilarious. It's a very funny episode, but the episode ends and nobody has an answer. It's a funny, hilarious episode and nobody provides the answer to the daughter. The episode ends with Ray and Deborah watching the children play together as they try. They're, they're, they go up to the bedroom to try to answer the question finally in some weird way, which is not biblical at all. But anyway, they're going to put their best effort forward and they see the kids are just kind of playing around, horsing around and having fun and laughing. And they're like, oh, I guess, well, that's the meaning of life. They're happy. You know, that's the meaning of life. This is, you know, Americanism 101. And the episode ends. and It's like, no, that's not the meaning of life. The meaning of life is not being happy. The meaning of life is God. God, 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 God is the meaning, is the purpose of your life. Jesus Christ is your purpose, your point to living. Christ, Paul says that I might know him, right? I give everything up that I might know Christ, right? And I might um, share in his, 
in the fellowship of his suffering so as to somehow attain to the resurrection from the dead. I mean, this is what you are made for. You are made for God. And you will never find purpose and fulfillment. You will never find happiness and joy and contentment until you understand that you are from him and you live through him and you belong to him and you are going back to him. First Peter 2, 9, you are a chosen race, a royal priest and a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's the text. That's what it meant. Let's talk about what it means. Real quick summing up, there is a cosmic calendar. The Jewish rejection leads to the Gentile inclusion, which then leads to the Jewish inclusion. So God is totally in control here. And what you have to understand is history is working according to God's plan. Christ being rejected by his people brings about the salvation of the world, the nations. The nations now come to Christ, and God uses that to stir up jealousy in the Jewish nation to bring them back to Christ in the last day. What are we to make of that as Christians today for our world? God's promises remain sure. Number two, God's power to save overcomes man's rejection. It doesn't matter who's rejecting God. It matters the fact that God is still using that rejection to save some. And then number three, God's people will be instrumental in the cosmic calendar of events. Now, I want to put something on the screen here. This is important. I want to give you perspective on the book of Romans. We are now on episode 22, on our study of the book of Romans. Episode 22, <clears throat> we are not even yet into application. I want you to think about that. For 11 chapters, we've been talking about theology. You might not even realize this because every once in a while, you know, every episode I say why it matters because there is application to all theology. But I've kind of been giving you a preview of the fact that there's a reason for all this theology. Let me put this up on the screen. This is important. Romans of perspective. Uh, the theology of salvation by grace through faith in Christ takes up Romans chapter 1 through 11. Takes up the lion's share of the book. Two-thirds of the book. It's theology. The practical implications of that reality in the church, Romans 12 to 15, are four chapters of the book. Out of the 16 chapters, you say, what's chapter 16 on this? Well, that's just greetings, and, and, and we'll talk about that too. But understand, this is so important, and I, I, want you, I want you to get this picture. So many times, preaching and teaching and Bible study leads to, hey, this is what we're supposed to do, but no one tells people this is who we are. This is who we are. Because you don't do until you know who, right? You don't do what God wants you to do until you know who God has made you to be. So important. 11 chapters of the most important book in the New Testament, in the Bible, probably in all of literature historically. 11 of the chapters are theology, 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 theology. This is what God has done in Christ Jesus. This is who you were. This is what he's done for you. This is what he's made you. Oh, by the way, this is what God is going to do in the end times with Israel and all that kind of stuff. And then now, boom, this is what you got to do. I bring you back to the first chapter of the book of Romans to draw out a very important um, practical implication that Paul is going to get to in Romans chapter 12 when we pick the study up in two weeks or three weeks, depending on my time frame. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Where? To the Jew first. Okay? Bring it right back to chapter 1. And he's picked that back up in chapter 9, 10, and 11. And then also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Make no mistake that this has been Paul's intention from the beginning of this book. The Roman first century church, and I told you I would get to this point, and I'm getting to, I'm getting to this point now. The Roman first century church was divided. The gospel had come to the Jews first. Probably some who were 
uh, in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, went back home to Rome, brought the Holy Spirit with them, speaking in tongues and salvation with them, and brought it only to the Jews. And then Paul comes, or and other, uh, and other, uh, I think Peter came, and other people came, and brought the gospel to the Gentiles. Now Gentiles start to get saved in mass. And what was a small Jewish sect of Christians becomes this overwhelmed by Gentile uh, metropolitan church. The church in Rome in the first century was dominated by Gentiles, by the way, in a very powerful Gentile city, Rome. They're not in Jerusalem. And essentially, and Catholics will bear witness with this, the church moves from center of operations in Jerusalem to Rome in 300 years of its history, in the first 300 years of its history. And all of that carries with it a profound possibility of pride and boastfulness on the part of the Gentile Christians. Look at those Jews that don't even believe hardly. Look at us, we're the Gentiles. We don't, we didn't even have the law and we believe. Look at us, we, ha- we, we didn't even have the promises. We didn't even have the patriarchs. And look at us, look at us. Oh, look at us, we, got, we believe it. And there's far more of us than them. And what Paul is doing is he's saying, uh-uh, you are saved because of them. You know Christ because of them. You are who you are because they were God's chosen people, chosen to bring about God's ultimate cosmic plan of redemption for the world. So you could argue that the letter of Romans is really a theological treatise on humility. It's really about the church living humble and grateful, and then by implication and and, and in practicality, loving and giving toward one another. And that's why we're going to get to why it matters. That's that's how. That's how we're going to get to why it matters. Okay, <laughs> take it back. So here's why it matters, everybody. Salvation, a free gift of God based on no merits and producing no boasting among the recipients. That's That's what we believe, right? And we believe that because the moment we don't, the moment that we think we've earned, the moment that we think we've arrived, the moment that we think we're more important than other people because, what, we outnumber them, because we all vote a certain way, because we all have a certain denomination, because we all subscribe to a certain guy on YouTube. Oh, subscribe if you haven't already. <laughs> I just felt that was perfect timing right there. Um, I'm a, you know, I'm a reform believer and all of those pesky, you know, Arminians. Shame on them. Or I'm a Pentecostal Arminian, and how dare you believe once saved, always saved, right? Shame on them, right? Th- this does not help. This kind of nonsense. Like I talked about on the deep end yesterday, when we castigate Hillsong. Um, what, yeah, I see it all the time on my Twitter feed too. These reform guys who hate Hillsong, but then, <laughs> you know, um, they really rarely produce, okay, show me, show me the denying Christ. Show me the denying atonement theology that they produce. They don't have that. They are flawed humans through whom God has blessed the world. Stop looking down on them because they have serious faults and so on and so forth because the faults go always. Every denomination and every corner of Christian faith that you will never find, you will never find uh, a church that has nailed it in practice and theology 100% all the time. There is no church like that. There is none. Stop getting on your high horse and demeaning or belittling other members of the body of Christ simply because they disagree with you on debatable matters that are not intent that are, that are not pertinent unto salvation 
or they worship a different way, sing a different style of song, or they have serious flaws and serious sins, even amongst their ranks. Again, the first the, the church of Corinth had serious flaws and serious sins. The the Galatian church didn't have the the um, the wicked sins of sexual morality and um, you know adultery and all those kind of things, but they sure did have a whole host a whole boatload of religious pride. And Paul is far more harsh on the Galatian church than he is on the on the Corinthians church. Look it up. Look up first current, uh, the first chapter of Galatians. He doesn't even thank them for their faith. He gets on them right away. I'm astonished that you are abandoning the gospel of grace. There's no thanksgiving for that church. Tons of thanksgiving for the Corinthian church. Please, please, please. I'm begging you, church. I'm begging the church of Jesus Christ, the global church. Stop belittling each other and attacking each other and shooting down each other. We've got to stop shooting our own wounded. That's what was happening in Romans in the first century, and it cannot happen anymore. All of this has an implication for today's study, because here's how I want to close this episode out. If your Bible study does not produce a reverence for God and a gratitude toward him, you are studying it wrong. Christians should be the most humble, most gracious, most grateful people on the face of the earth because they know that they are who they are because of the, the abundant mercies and grace of God who has worked throughout human history to bring about them the gospel of grace, to bring about them an eternal security in Christ Jesus, whereby they have a beautiful, glorious future awaiting them that is all freely offered them through Jesus. You got to believe this and you receive this and it changes everything about who you are or you're studying it wrong. Does that make sense? I hope it makes sense. I hope this episode has helped you. And I'd appreciate if you do support the channel, please do at the cash tag Tim Hatch Life. That would be real great. Thank you. Become a regular supporter. We're getting starting to get regular supporters through the cash tag or through the PayPal info at timhatchlive.com. Uh, become a regular monthly supporter. We want to keep this content going. We want to advertise this content. We can grow this channel. Why? Because we're bringing people to Jesus and there is no greater call, no greater purpose in life than that. Amen. 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 Like, share, subscribe, do all that kind of stuff. Next week, I will be doing 10 questions with Tim, but that is the only episode that I will be doing next week. Okay, so 10 questions with Tim, not the deep end, not the deep dive next week. I'm sorry, big things happening in my life. I need to focus on that and then back at it, hopefully the following week right before Easter, if not after Easter, but I'm praying and trusting for before Easter. Okay, God bless you guys. Have a great night. See you next time. 